All right. So I am here today with Jordan Harbinger, the co-founder of The Art of Charm and Many Talents. Uh, I was on his show not too long ago, and uh, such an interesting guy. I wanted to have him on my show. So welcome. How are you? Good, man. Thanks. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. So you're uh, you're doing all kinds of big things in it. I know Art of Charm, you guys are one of the... Uh, bigger podcast out there in the kind of health uh, slash self-help uh, area, right? Yeah, we are the number one podcast in self-help and number one in health right now. Sometimes we duke it out with uh, Dan Savage over at Savage Lovecast for number one in health. But yeah, it's a, it's in health, it's either going to be me, Dave Asprey, or Dan Savage. And usually on, Dan takes it, man. Dan, New York Times syndicated columnist. It's got the It's got a lot of backing, but, you know, we can try. Well, good. You're like bootstrapped your way out of out of just without the big institutions behind you and caught up. Pretty yeah, impressive. yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but you know that's we do it all for you guys. So you know, I'm all about the good life. This show, Grand Theory of Everything. I've been kind of someone just exploring life, and you know, I focus down on those four big areas: health, wealth, love, and happiness. And for you, Art of Charm is pretty much about something similar, you know, self-improvement. Um, it's obviously got a little bit of a slant towards love slash dating. So let's start out, kind of, I like to start in the middle. Uh, what is the biggest thing that you think, um, the biggest insight you're bringing to your audience that, that we can talk about today? I mean, it's really hard to figure out what any sort of biggest insight is because I guess that depends on each person, right? So it's well, really for you. For you, what what you've seen, just you know, Peter Drucker calls feedback analysis from the audience a consistent theme of going, "Thank you, you have enlightened me on blankety blank." Obviously, I'm sure you enlighten people on dozens of subjects, but if you had to kind of narrow it down to one or two things, let's let's start by talking about those. What are the Let's start with just pick one that that stuck out to you over the. You've been doing it for a couple of years now, right? Seven years, seven and a half. Yeah, wow. one of the longest running shows in iTunes, actually. Wow, awesome. So, what's what's kind of been a couple of consistent themes you've seen that people go? Before I met you, I was lost. I call it planes of reality. They had low levels of reality, like Plato's in the Republic, the cave. People looking at shadows, and you brought them out of the cave and said, look at the light. What's the insight, some of the insights you've given? Uh, well, I mean, essentially, I think the number one, if we're looking at looking to throw it in on a, on a pyramid, is the idea that confidence and, in, in, in a sense, self-confidence and your own personal image, the way you appear to others, can be a learned skill. I think a lot of people think that you're born with it or you're not, and uh, our, in fact, the old slogan of the Art of Charm, our school used to be, the school we run in L.A. where we teach this stuff, used to be either you're born with it or you learn it from us. But actually, it's <laughs> not inborn at all. Like yeah, yeah. And we had to change it because, you know, as the science has shown, and we kind of thought we were getting away with it for a while, the science has shown, and we've talked about over and over, no one is born confident. In fact, there's absolutely no genetic basis for it whatsoever. Uh, there might be certain people who are born better looking or taller or something like that, that elicits better positive feedback from the external environment over time and at a younger age that it helps them develop confidence, but there's no, nobody's born with it. And it's always developed as a result of the feedback that you get and the mindsets that you have, which of course 
are largely what dictate what kind of feedback you get from others. So we focus on training those mindsets so that people can get positive reinforcement from the outside, which will then reinforce those belief systems, which cause confidence. So it really is a learnable skill and it's a physical skill largely. Right. So, okay. That's interesting. I was just reading, uh, a good uh, good book by Dr. Molum on it. It's uh, called Inheritance. It's about uh, epigenetics and the genes, and so it's a similar thing. You know, we don't obviously know everything about DNA and genes, but we know now that uh, whether you're born with it or not, it doesn't even matter. A lot of people are worried about that because even if it was, let's say, in a hypothetical alternate universe, you could be born with confidence. Um, we know now that with epigenetics, certain actions you do or do not do will turn off the gene and not have it expressed. So just like you said, it doesn't even matter if it's genetic or not, because if you don't do certain things, you will not elicit, uh, you know, or, or exhibit confidence. So what are the things you've seen? Let's say you take somebody and they're never been confident, went through high school, made fun of nerds, their 20s or 30s, never quite been able to get it going. That's a tough task to reverse years of habitual change. What do you, where do people start if they're not confident? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a long road. And that's for sure. I mean, that's, I guess, one of the main reasons why a lot of people decide that this is something that, oh, you must be born with, because it's easier to do that than to say, I'm going to work on this aspect of myself. So Essentially, where people are not exhibiting confidence, the, the most readily accessible example of this is bad body language and bad nonverbal communication. Our bodies never lie. And so even if the words outside of that come out of our mouth do or the fact that, you know, a lot of people will assemble material wealth or put people around them to make them appear superficially confident, uh, people who are not you know, people have two brain cells to rub together or are critical thinkers we'll notice immediately, oh, this person might have a lot of fancy things and might even have a lot of fancy friends, but they themselves have deep-rooted insecurities that are readily apparent. So we will focus on changing nonverbal communication, but more importantly, we focus on the belief systems that are in place because we, we know that our beliefs, and this is a core tenet of the art of charm, our beliefs influence our actions, which influence our results. So you can't just change your actions, buy a fancy car, buy a fancy house, because even though those might influence your results, you might get people to like you and want to be around you, it doesn't change who you are and it doesn't filter in high value people. Uh, So you have to be able to change your belief system in order to really get there and to feel that. Otherwise, you're just posing. And so we start with the physiology because it's quite frankly the easiest thing to change. So we'll start with nonverbal communication, the way you sit, stand, walk, talk, eye contact and vocal tonality. And that is a great place to start because what that does, even though it is influencing the action, it'll influence the results directly, which will then reinforce positive mindset. Right. You get that positive, you get that positive feedback. Exactly. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like a, one of the, like you have a, say your self-esteem's having a heart attack. We're going to put the pedals on you, on your chest and give you that kickstart. Right. Uh, because if we don't, right. it's really otherwise people try to do this. They try to go for the belief systems first. And that can we do that in combination with the physiology at the Art of Charm. But we do it with like therapists we have on staff, coaches we have on staff. If you try to do it yourself, it's ridiculous right. because what happens is well, you're there's that old here. thing. There's, a, there's that saying that if you're drowning, you can't pull yourself out by your own hair. 
it's impossible. If you're in the water, you can't grab your hair. So you got to have someone on a firm ground, a firm ground, reach out and pull you out. That's hard for people to humble themselves and come to that place. It it is hard, and so we have a lot of ego objections to getting into some of our classes and things like that from guys who don't quite get it. But it's very true because if you think about it, you can't sit there in the mirror and go, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. It doesn't work. <laughs> Tony Robbins one. <laughs> right, right. That's Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live. But yeah, it's, it doesn't work. In fact, all of the right. science will show you that you're, you can say that all you want, but you don't really believe it. So it doesn't reinforce right. anything other than you telling yourself something that you don't believe which is not helpful well, think, to your self-esteem at all. I, I think the thing that gets lost, if you study, you know, I'm friends with Dr. David Buss, uh, and, it, you know, in my recommended books, I, he's the number one, his evolutionary technology textbook is number one. He has, there's fascinating insight he has. Uh, I've talked to him, I was down there in Austin recently. The insight on what self-esteem and confidence as to, so everything that is in the human mind, still is here because it's had an adaptive purpose. It served some purpose or else we would have got rid of it 10,000 generations ago. So we're the product of people that had a certain um, ability to gauge themselves in the social strata. So what I I tell people that aren't confident is I say, look, confidence is born uh, in great part from skill. Get good at something and you can build confidence because at the end of the day, what science, what we know about the brain is the brains really just like you just said. If the brain accurately assesses you as a low uh low level person, and I'm you know, obviously this is a loaded word to say, but if your brain says you're not as good as the other twenty people around you, uh you're gonna have a hard time tricking your brain into just going, I don't know, no, you really are, because the brain is smarter than we think, the heuristical patterns of our brain. So what you really have to do is compete, like Will Durant says. Life is the second biological lesson of life is life is competition. It's selection. You must go up the chain, and as you go up the chain, confidence comes also. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and one of the things that we do for our clients after their program is that, namely, we say, all right, cool, now go out and conquer, make a list of some of the things that you've been afraid to do, and with the newfound right. confidence they have from boot camp, go out and conquer those because that consistently reinforces, oh, I can do this. I just did some stuff yeah. at the Art of Charm that I never would have done. Maybe I should go skydiving. Maybe I should train for a half marathon. Maybe I yeah. should join a gym. Maybe I should learn, you know, hula hoop tricks or whatever it is that you wanted to do that you've never really had the, the gumption to go and try because you were afraid of failure. Now you don't have to worry about that because failure is your friend after this class. Exactly. No, that's good because it's like the Dalai Lama in his, his book, Beyond Religion. He says it, he teaches three levels of understanding. Level one is just book knowledge. You you, ha- you listen to somebody, you get some insight in your brain. He says level two is kind of, you know, meditating on it or making it, uh, you know, thinking deeply on it. But he says level three is what you want when it becomes instinctual. Become, when it becomes, it's like a pro. Michael Jordan playing basketball, he is in flow. He's not thinking when he plays basketball, my friend Don Ravine is here. He trains LeBron James and Carmelo, and, and he said these guys get in a state where they're like the Dalai Lama said. They're in level three. It's instinctual. So like I like that that you you get the you do level one in your class in terms of getting them or level one and two, get them the insight, get them started, and then you put them at level three, which is let's make this instinctual. Go hang, go go skydiving because that locks it in the brain. Right. That, yeah, I can do some stuff. 
Exactly. And that's that's sort of the the answer to the critique where guys go, oh, well, how am I going to learn this all in one week? Because we have the one week residential program in L.A. How am I going to learn this all in one week? You're not. You've got six months of prep before your program. You've got six months of follow up after your program. You've got the alumni network of guys that are all around the world working on this stuff. And you're going to go out and do the work on your own. Anybody who signs up and goes, make me confident. All right, I've got 48 hours. It's like, nope, go somewhere else. Find your magic diet pills somewhere else because that's not what we do. We affect real change. But, man, if I could affect that change in in just a week or in just a few days, we'd be having we'd be doing this show on my jet, Ty. <laughs> be the richest man in America. So exactly. tell me something. So you've got this cool thing, this residential thing. And so, guys, there's six-month lead-up to it? What do you yeah. – you, so that – what is that, just like coursework online or something? It's, yeah, we have an online academy that is, we have sort of the a la carte version, but we have the student version, which has a lot of drills and exercises, includes phone coaching for guys to talk with the coaching staff before they come in. And we're constantly taking notes and moving guys forward so they can kick the proverbial rust off of their social skills and their business networking and their relationship development before they come in. And then, you know, we work a lot, a lot on making sure that those guys are, are, you know, not just coming in cold. I mean, you can, but obviously it's a little bit more effective to not come in totally cold. And it, after that, at that point, you know, you're working on your sticking points. You're working on some basics like nonverbal communication. There's drills and exercises that you're doing on your own and reporting back, journaling these things so that people can give you feedback. And then you come to the week-long program where we really do a lot of hands-on stuff and force you into uncomfortable situations videotape you in social interactions, break down the videotape with you so you can see where your nonverbal communication is breaking down. And then we fix that with you as well during the week. And then we give you milestones for after the week as well. So it's, it's pretty intense and it's pretty involved. So let's say somebody would tell me some uh, horror stories and some success stories. What's the, tell me a story about, uh, let's, let's start with the horror story. Somebody comes in, you get the, and I'm sure this happens. They're just too cocky. I mean, what? Give me some specifics of people. You're just like at the end of the week. You're just like, this person is not helpable because of their state of mind. I mean, what? Any crazy things? People freaking out. People. You know, I mean, I'm sure. we, we definitely we, we have we've had some horror stories, but nobody that we've that freaks out because I screen all of the students before they come in because I, I actually right. have no choice. Um, one, it only takes one guy to ruin a week-long program, as you might imagine, right. especially when there's yeah. seven guys in the room. So I keep right. the weirdos and sociopaths well away from the art of charm. But uh, I do actually also have an obligation because we get a lot of military, special forces, and intelligence guys in here. I have to, I have to do an extra layer of screening that makes sure that they're not, you know, friggin' North Korean spies or something like that. I don't know. I don't know how I'd be able to not spot them. So they're coming in and they're like, "We're North Korean spies. We want to learn confidence, so we can take over America." Yeah, I mean, I I don't really know exactly what, but you know, the we do report to to certain government officials when there's anything suspicious. And honestly, there hasn't really been. So that happened. You get it. That's a pretty cool story. Yeah, we actually. Yeah, we have to. We we've had to. um, In fact, they. They requested that from us because they we've had so many people come through from the intelligence services that in order to be able to have those types of people come in, they they do scrutinize you a little bit. So they were like, we just need to make sure that, you know, you and your coaches aren't, you know, sketchy or Soviets or whatever, you know, former Soviets. <laughs> I like former like Soviet. 
Uh, everybody yes. named Igor on staff. That's yeah, what exactly. we want to know, man. Jordan, you uh, were you were 11 years old when the Berlin Wall fell. What did your parents tell you about socialism? <laughs> and, and what do you think about capitalism? No, not really. But I mean, there's they do check for foreign passports and things like that. And it's it's no big deal. I mean, we've literally never had an issue. But I screen those guys pretty hard. But we do have... Uh, we have had some funny horror stories, so I'll start with this one. Uh, we had a guy come in, and he was one of these very technical guys. He was a social engineer, which a penetration tester by trade. And what that means is he gets hired by companies like, for example, Amazon will hire him to break in to their maybe one of their warehouses, um, and he'll also hack into it using the computer. And so one of the things that we were working on with him was some of the skills he'll need for a physical penetration test, namely pretending to be somebody else, using you know identity and cover to get in. And, and of course, that's a natural offshoot of what we're teaching at The Art of Charm, which is actually authenticity and connection. Those skills do have an overlap with anything that you might have improv-wise with physical penetration testing. Getting people to like and trust you is the name of that game. Same thing in any relationship right, right, right. development as well. So we had him working on that stuff. And the problem was he was so highly technical. He was one of those guys that like he had his phone on his belt and he had lock picks with him everywhere that he went. We're like, you know, that sort of alienates you from a lot of other people. You can't carry that stuff around. So he he, he really locks on his phone. I know. right? Uh, and he really, really resisted throughout most of the course. And he always had his lock picks and his hidden lock picks and, you know, inside his belt and all that stuff. So finally, on the last day of his of his boot camp. He was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to, you know, we're going to go out and we're like, leave Leonard, leave the locks, lock picks at AOC, leave them at AOC. And he's like, oh, okay. We're like, you don't need anything like that. You don't need any technical stuff. We're just going to go out tonight and have fun. So, you know, we, we finally managed on getting this guy out of his head and, and don't get me wrong. Like I said, most of our clients, real cool entrepreneurs and, and special forces and intelligence guys, occasionally. Yeah, but this is the media. We want to hear the crazy stories. Right. You man. want to hear I'm the in Hollywood. Hollywood. I'm in Hollywood. We want That's the right. sensational. So we're giving you the, we're giving you this super technical, like nerdy dude. Uh, and he's a great guy, but he, you know, we finally get him to, to leave his, his stupid lockpicks at home, uh, at AOC in the office. And he goes out and one of the other students is rolling around. And he's got these, this pair of pink furry handcuffs, and I think you can see where this is going. So he's rocking around the handcuffs, and they're playing around, and he's talking with this little tiny, like, five-foot-tall Asian girl or something like that at one of the bars that we were at. And Leonard grabs the handcuffs sort of impulsively and slaps them on his wrist and slaps the other end on her wrist, and he's like, hey, now you, know, now you can't leave me all night or whatever, and she's laughing because they were having a good time, good conversation. And then after a few minutes... Leonard's like, I'm going to go get a drink. Do you want one? She's like, yeah. And he's like, well, this is going to be awkward walking through with these because the venue's crowded. Where's the key? And the other guy goes, dude, I don't, I don't have the key. I didn't bring the key. Oh. I wasn't planning on using these. These are real up. handcuffs, too? These are real handcuffs. They had a pink furry oh. fit, like liner around the outside. But he's like, oh, these are real handcuffs. And you didn't bring the key. No, I was going to leave them on my belt all night. You know, I didn't think you were going to oh. take them off. I was just sort of having fun with these things. And we had already banned these handcuffs because we don't like props and stupid stuff like that. But somebody had brought these handcuffs or maybe they, you know, I, I, I don't remember exactly where they came from, but, you know, they, they showed up at, at the at this stupid at this bar, these stupid handcuffs. And so suddenly she kind of realized that she was handcuffed to this guy and he realized he was she handcuffed was really... to this And first things first, Leonard is about 46, 47, divorced with two kids that are not that much younger than this girl who was probably like 21, 22 years old. I mean, 
she was quite young. So the reality started to set in. Security came up and was like, what's going on? Uh, and they were like, hey, do you have a handcuff key by any chance? Because a lot of doormen in L.A. will have that because if they need to restrain someone, they'll just cuff them, give them to the cops, switch the cuffs. Are all right? handcuff keys the same key? They are. They are the same key. And uh, yeah. And so, of course, it, that's why you can pick them with a with a hairpin if you have one. But nobody I mean, who wears hairpins now? So, of course, yeah. Leonard's going, don't worry, I've got lock picks in my belt. No, I don't. We made him leave him at home. Don't worry, I've got an emergency hairpin tucked into my pants. No, I don't. These are new pants that he had just gotten that day with our stylist at the mall and hadn't had a chance to, like, put in his, you know, secret agent uh, stuff yet. So, slowly but surely, she starts to freak out a little bit. And he's, you know, because she's handcuffed to this guy and her friends are like, we're going to go somewhere else. And she's like, I have to go to the bathroom. And it's like, oh. gonna work out. So, like, basically, security's like, I can't kick him out because he's handcuffed to like this girl, and she can't go to the bathroom because she's handcuffed to this guy. And this guy's, you know, he's not like an aggressive weirdo. He just, this is just like a joke gone horribly wrong. So, what do we do? They don't want to call the cops because then it's like there's police at the venue and it doesn't look good. And you know, so right. just as they're like, what are we gonna do? And just as I am sort of belaboring the prospect and letting the prospect sink in that I might have to drive two handcuffed people back to my office at like one o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night and then drive it and unhandcuff them and or go to the office, grab the key and come back with it, which could take upwards of half an hour. AJ, my business partner and one of the head instructors at the Art of Charm shows up raising this handcuff key in the air like it's this freaking Stanley Cup. And you, <laughs> half the bar at this point knows what's going on, and everyone just erupts in laughter and simultaneous applause. And it's like he just brought—it's like he just brought beer to the high school party, right? Everyone's like, "Yeah!" and comes in, unlocks the two. She vanishes, of course, immediately because she's embarrassed as all hell. And Leonard goes, "See, I told you, you guys should have let me bring my lockpick." So I think maybe we learned a lesson on that one. You learned to let let the nerds have their nerd tools. They let the, come in let handy. The guy, let Batman bring his bat tools to boot camp and just don't <laughs> ask questions. I think that's the lesson we learned there. Um, that is quite a lesson. Honest, honestly, we've had many more success stories than we've had horror stories. And if that's a horror story, then then I'll take it, right? Um, that's okay. I mean, how often do people, you know, when you, you see people, someone listening, and I think everybody, I, I would say it's a common uh, human dilemma to feel, man, I don't feel confident. I, I, even the most confident person, in certain environments, you're not going to feel that confident, uh, whatever that environment might be. I've seen it with, you know, billionaires. I've taken billionaires, put them in certain environments, they lose their confidence. I've taken pro athletes, certain environments. You know, so we all have this. Are there people that you just think are too far gone? It's like there's nothing you can do? Not really, no. I mean, we've the, the only people that we quote-unquote cannot teach – are people that are deliberately being unteachable. And right. by, by that, I mean that I can, and I, again, one of the things that I screen for, you know, when I'm looking at guys from who are trying to come into AOC, into the art of charm, into our workshops, are, are signs of what you call uncoachability. So it's essentially, and, and I'll give you just an example so I don't have to be sort of vague the whole time. We had a doctor, and he was in his mid-40s. He was a, a radiologist. And he was really convinced that, you know, none of this stuff's going to work for me. And this is years ago, and, and so somebody like that wouldn't really get in at this point because he was just so down on himself. 
he wouldn't try any of the prep. He was just really not into it. And so one of the things that, that we had really focused on and that we focus on now is pro being proactive in the willingness to learn. Well, this guy, as it turned out, was going from, and I found this out later, which is one of the reasons I asked if they had any previous coaching. He was going from coach to coach to coach to coach, joining their yeah. program, not applying himself, and making sure that he failed in order right. to prove to himself that he was uncoachable because it was better than him going through the alternative, which was realizing that failure was actually his own responsibility and not that right. of anyone else. And so we can screen really well for that now, but back then it was really tough. And of course, you know, this is four or five years ago. I was just like, challenge accepted. You know, we'll get you back on your feet. And, you know, to this day, he keeps in touch and he says that this was a great experience and he really likes what he learned from us. But honestly, I think the reason he was, quote unquote, successful at the Art of Charm is because he succeeded in making sure that he was uncoachable. And right. there's always people like that. There's a lot of people that go to the gym that will overeat even more after they go to the gym to make sure they don't lose any weight because what they want to do is prove to their trainer and themselves that going to the gym is a waste of time because they actually gained weight when going, and so they should just be left alone to overeat because they're doing something for an emotional reason, right? Well, this I guy, teach, I, I te yeah, I teach, you know, Dr. Uh, Martin Seligman, the great uh, psychologist and, and kind of the number one guy in happiness in the world. He became famous for his work on what's called learned helplessness. Exactly. So he, I call it the monkey in the cage. Most of us, uh, or most people are content to be the monkey in the cage where at eight in the morning, noon at five o'clock, the, the, the zookeeper comes in with a little pail of sloth and throws it to us and we eat. And what Martin Seligman said is he said, not only is that a crappy life on outwardly, but the monkey is not happy. There's lower levels of happening. When you feel helpless, that's when depression sets in. And in, I tell people, look, it's a modern world. You have 15-year-olds selling companies for $30 million. You have uh, this guy uh, that, that uh, is here in L.A., he's 72 years old. He's a pro bodybuilder. He's got six-pack abs. We're living in the greatest time ever. Yet people, and so we're, we're actually not even in the cage. We're out of the cage, out in the jungle. But what Martin Seligman found, and, and zookeepers know this, you take an animal used to being helpless and the food being brought to it, you stick it out. You take it back to Africa and drop it in the middle of the jungle. That monkey generally dies because it doesn't go, wait, I'm in the jungle. I can reach for the fruit myself. No, it would, it's been learned. The rewiring at a genetic level of its brain, you know, there's parts of our brain that can be expressed. We're talking about epigenetics. And um, you can, I'm reading this, it's fascinating. You know, I read a book a day and I'm reading this book, Ian Robertson, The Science of Success. And there's an actual neural pathway change where you get more dopamine and testosterone receptors when you succeed and when you fail and when you are helpless, you're creating this feedback loop and the amount of receptors in your brain are getting smaller. That's why, in great part, why the rich get richer and the poor get poor because it's literally rewiring the hardwiring of your brain. And so this guy is just going to learn helpless state and you have to, your only chance is if you have some, you know, way you can snap him out. But if you can't snap him out, he's going to be that monkey out there in the middle of the jungle with fruit on all the trees, and this guy's starving to death. Absolutely. Yeah, if if you're not willing to sort of apply yourself there. And, and that's the thing is it is tricky. I mean, it can be tough to undo a lifetime of conditioning. You have to really want to do it. You have to be able to do it. And 
And by able, I mean able to put your ego aside and come through and do it. Because a lot of people feel so much safer in their comfort zone that they'd rather stay in that comfort zone, even if they're miserable every day of their life, than, than venture outside of it. Because the, uh, they fear the unknown even more. Absolutely. I mean, you know, this learn helplessness thing is, I tell people it starts when you're obviously salaries, I call it the salary slave. Uh, working at a job, not as a partner, not a, with equity. There's nothing wrong with getting uh, pay, but if I'm talking about the way it's being given to you, if it's given to you like the zookeeper, then that learned, that's reinforcing learned helplessness. But it goes beyond that. Think about what happens to you when you're five years old. You're in a class or, or whatever, six years old. You're in first grade, and a teacher says, we're going to learn about California history this year. And they bring you the textbook and they say, first, you're going to read page one, then you're going to read page two. And as a po- so they're just reinforcing hopelessness. You're feeling more and more uh, that subconsciously. Your brain is going, when I want to know something, it will be spoon fed to me. Now, what right. could happen and should happen is the teacher should say, here's the end goal. I want you to learn. Uh, I want you to learn how to do uh, understand California history. Here's the bookshelf. Pick the books that interest you. There's different things about maybe it's biology, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, and you pick it and you teach yourself. And uh, but we've all been reinforced to learn that we're in a helpless state. So I'm sure you're dealing. That's one of the main things you're dealing with. Yes. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of that uh, as well. But you know what? I screen it out, um, and and so I don't have to worry about it too much anymore. But yeah, it can be a giant pain in the butt um, before I learned how to do that. It was definitely. And obnoxious. What got you? Tell me your backstory. Like, where were you that you ended up here? Well, I teach. Yeah, I was working at a law firm, and I was essentially a, an intern, you know, summer associate. And it was, it was, it was all right. I mean, I, I didn't love the job. I, I thought there's no way I want to be a lawyer. Um, it's not my thing. And, you know, I'd heard rumors that the guy who'd hired me was making more money than everybody else, even though he was never in the office. And so I thought, okay, that's that's really weird. I wonder what's up with that. And he was supposedly like my mentor or whatever, which basically is a fancy HR type of thing where they basically tell some guy that he's your mentor because he hired you and say, love, he's got to like go out with you for coffee. So he'd been avoiding this all summer. And I finally got a hold of him and he was like, Hey, yeah, let's go out for coffee or beer. So he goes, ask me anything. And I said, all right, how come? And I'm sure he thought I was going to ask about real estate financing or something. And he goes, uh, I asked him, why are you never in the office? And yet you make all of the money compared to the partners. You make a lot more money. And he was like, Oh, uh, well, okay. And so he very frankly told me that the reasoning behind that was that even though the people who are in the office at 3 a.m. on a Sunday night, these partners were highly technically skilled, they were actually quite replaceable because it's, there's always going to be somebody who's willing to work real hard, manage a deal, and has the technical skill to do so. Um, it's, a, it's something that you can learn easily. It's something that you can hire for pretty easily, especially if you're willing to pay the price. However, he was out generating business for the firm. So he had a great tan for a Brooklyn boy. He was always golfing. He was on cruises and at charity events. He did jujitsu. And, you know, he was always out and doing something. 
And he told me that that skill was far more valuable than simply the technical know-how. So not only was he billing the firm for all these cool things, but he was never in the office and he could take time off. He worked from home. He basically fired off a couple emails here and there with instructions. He rounded us up for meetings and then we didn't see him for three weeks. And it was phenomenal for him, I'm sure. And not to, don't forget, he was compensated much more highly than the other guys. And I asked him why. And he said, listen, if I leave, I'm taking my client book with me and the firm will lose all of that money. So I basically, they have to, they have to keep me happy and fed, even if that means paying more than my quote unquote fair share based on billable hours, which I thought was just insanity. So I was like, I was thinking to myself, let me get this straight. I can master people skills, which are already far more interesting to me. Or I can work on technical skill and be battling these like Asian and Indian dudes who are like busting their ass, living in the office, sleeping under their desk, who were my colleagues at that time, just to get a partner position where I'm in the office at 3 a.m. on a Sunday. Are you like, what, what are you talking? How is this even a, a, why is not everybody doing this? And I realized people skills are so much more rare and they're so much more difficult to learn without somebody teaching them to you that it's most people view that as an impossible feat and they hire right. based on that skill set. It's kind of like being a pro athlete in business. You're selling yourself, you're selling the firm, you're selling the firm services as an attorney that is hugely valuable. And so I set out to learn that. I've read every book on networking I could find. I contacted every coach I could find. I tried to take every class I could find on the subject. Most of it was garbage and was like, put right. yourself out there, you know, keep a good Rolodex and call everybody once every two weeks. I mean, it's just stuff that doesn't work. It doesn't mean that person likes you. It doesn't mean that person trusts you. It was all about like collecting business cards and, you know, keeping people, keeping yourself fresh in people's minds. The best thing I read was Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. And that was written almost a hundred years ago. So it was just, a, it was time for a redux. So working on these networking skills, essentially applying them to dating. Cause I'd ran into my business partner, AJ, who is phenomenal with the opposite sex. And I thought, okay, I'm teaching him networking. He's teaching me dating. There is overlap here. That so, there was, so you didn't necessarily go into it to learn dating, which no. is what a lot of guys go into it for. Well, that's why we market it as such, because if we marketed it as, hey, you know, we can teach you networking and relationship development to change your life, half of the, right. the younger guys would go, <laughs> I don't care. That's for you old You can't people. say to guys, you got to lead with the reward. You can't tell guys, hey, guys, I'm going to teach you how to meet a whole bunch of guys. That's not a huge uh, reward. Right. They're, they're, like, they're like, I'm good. I have a job and eventually I'll get promoted. I don't need to learn how to do this. But if I'm like <laughs> dot, 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 baby, you know, women and chits and boobies or whatever they need to hear, you know, they're like, oh my God, wait, what was that thing you said again? And so we, we call it hiding the broccoli because in order yeah. to eat a, a kid. Hiding the broccoli to get, with some cheese, right? Yes. Yeah. In order to get a kid to eat broccoli, you put the cheese on it and then he goes, yum. And then your kid's eating broccoli. And so guys, we, you know, we, we get them listening to the podcast, The Art of Charm, and they go, oh, I'm going to learn how to do this dating stuff and meet some girls. And they do that stuff and they're like, whoa, this works. And then they start listening to the business and networking shows that we have and some of the other shows that we have on different subjects. And they're like, oh, my God, I'm finally getting that there is overlap in this area. But we got to get them in with the cheese because if you say, be an entrepreneur and get your stuff together, people are like, eh, F that. I got a cool job. I don't care. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, life, I call it the integrated life, the life that you want to live, the good life. I was just reading, uh, I can't remember whose book, I think it was uh, Van Gogh or one of the greats. It's, uh, there's never, oh, I know, it was, uh, 
Yeah, I'll remember to say it. There's never coming or going in the good life. Oh, I was reading George Mumford. He's the, he's the guy who, uh, the psychologist who trained Michael Jordan on mindfulness and stuff. And he says, it's like Dr. Dre says, I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Meaning it's all this, it's all related life. It should be. I lived with the Amish for two and a half years. What I saw there is the power of an integrated life. So what you're saying is there's no coming or going. There's no delineation between, okay, here's the things that you do that make you successful with the opposite sex or whoever you're wanting to date. And here's the things that make you good at business. It's really one thing. You just lead with it from a standpoint of getting people's attention, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So this is all one skill set. It's just that it applies in many different areas, one of which happens to be much more engaging initially than the other. But the, right. the skills are the same. We don't say, hey, we're going to teach you dating stuff, and it's like, sucker, you're not learning any of that. You're learning business. We don't do that. It's right. actually the same skill set. There's no bait and switch. It's just that we focus on one side versus the other. It's like a girl who wears makeup. It's the same girl with the makeup off. You're just a- accentuating certain features initially. Right. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, well, well it, that's a hard concept for people to get that, the things that you got to do for one thing are the things that will work for the other thing. I mean, people want there to be, that's, there's a cognitive bias in the human brain um, that basically says, okay, life is all different. I'm going to, it's called the certainty bias. So we want to be certain. Okay. This is the one thing that I can be certain of. This will pick up line works, but when you step back or if you can step back, um, you can really see, like, now, man, love, new level of realities entered into your brain. This thing that we call success is completely applicable at every level. I'm actually putting out this, a new version of my 67 steps. So it's kind of what I did my TED talk on. And, and I'm like, I, on the front cover of the outline, it says 67 steps. And then it's like, to be a millionaire, to date, you know, supermodel, to get a six pack, to, save, you know, eradicate poverty from the world. Whatever it is you want, there's definitely an underlying theme here. We know now why it is. It's this way that our brain is hardwired. So you just got to reverse engineer it. It's easier said than done. Uh, like you said, what do you think is, um, uh, you know, stepping back from this, what we've been talking about, and along these lines of, of this neural pathway of success, uh, is there one thing that you think is, absolutely the hardest barrier like for example could be talking to the to a girl or going out and taking the first step to go hang gliding or swallowing your pride to even be able to take a class what's the biggest hurdle that you go this guy's got to get over or we're not even on we're not even on the starting line it's always ego it's it's always always ego um the second sort of runner up to that would be like the them not necessarily seeing the value in uh in how that works so a lot of people will go oh you know that's too much money because they don't understand the problem that it solves you know they'll say oh i don't want to or i can't take a whole week off work and i'm thinking you would work for five years to get a promotion but you wouldn't take a week off to get that promotion two years sooner than you normally would it makes no sense so it's like there's weird sort of biases or like logical fallacies going on in the, in the brain that don't, when people don't necessarily understand the value of what they're getting and they don't understand the sort of secret game being played around them. Cause a lot of people will go, 
Oh, um, yeah, I don't really, networking's not really a thing that you need in my field. And it's funny because I especially, I used to get that a lot from military guys, not special forces guys. Those guys are like, they're very cognizant of what people and relationships, the purposes that they, they serve, especially guys like Green Berets who teach other people for a living. They know they've got to be relatable and relate to others. Um, any, any sort of elite level performer will know this, but sort of grunt level, and I, I say that tongue in cheek, Guys who are maybe like just below officer or lower officer level, they're like, oh, it's the military. You know, we get promoted on a certain scale. It doesn't really matter. I don't really need these networking skills. And then we'll have a, like a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force come through the Yard of Charm. And I did a show with, with Lieutenant Colonel LaDuke of the United States Air Force on the show. And he talked about how just critical networking is in the military and how it's important for rank, for promotion, for getting stationed where you want to be. So if you're in the military and you're listening to this and you're a dude in a cave in Nevada, it's, it's not necessarily because someone doesn't like you, but it's probably because nobody knows about you slash cares about you and thus you get stationed in a shithole. You know, it's, right. there are people everywhere that are getting kick-ass Hawaii assignments in the Navy or, you know, getting the unit that they want or getting another shot at some sort of training school or getting more training opportunities because their superior officers are aware of who they are and the people that are working with them at that same level go, you know what, I have another recommendation for somebody who would be good in this school and they'll, they'll, they'll have you back. If you're just minding your own business quietly, which is a lot of people's strategy, not just in the military, but in their whole life, not even just their right. career, you're, you will not get anywhere. If you're trying to be the invisible man, the best that you'll be is invisible, and the worst that you'll be is disliked universally. Well, one of my uh, one of my business partners, his dad is a, a colonel in the army, uh, and I was talking to him, and I said, you know what? Because no one wants to stay a colonel, right? No, like a colonel is like basically meaning you should, if you don't become that's you shit don't, get, that shit or get off the pot as a general. Yeah, if you don't retire a general, you did something wrong. So. I said, what happened to your dad? You know, why was he not a general? And he said, death by faint praise. And I was like, what is that? You know, I was, what years ago, I was like, what's death by faint praise? And this is a oh. principle I teach. And I, and I said, okay, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, listen, here's what happens when you're a colonel uh, and you become a general. Here's what happens. You are a whole bunch of generals without you being there are going out to lunch together and they're like, we need to promote somebody. It's time. And they, they ask around. They're like, what do you think about that, you know, Bob guy? And if the generals go, yeah, Bob, he's a pretty good guy. Pretty good guy. That's death by faint praise. The praise wow. that they gave Bob isn't like, because nobody comes a, becomes a general until when those other generals are talking and say, what do you think of that George guy? They go, holy crap, that's the best guy. That's the best colonel in the Army. You right. need massive praise. And I tell people in life, you're probably, and I don't care whether it's with women, uh, whether it is in business or whatever you're trying to achieve. I think most of us get us about three big chances at life. In fact, most of us have already had a big chance that we messed up, that we maybe it was death by faint praise or maybe we weren't even aware enough to realize it came our way. And so what happens is we go through lives. This is why, as the saying goes, lives of quiet desolation because Charlie Monger, the self-made billionaire, his grandfather said to him, he said, Charlie, we were only a little kid, he said, Charlie, uh, opportunities that will come, great opportunities are rare. It's a rare life 
that is absolutely bathed in opportunity all the way. Most people get only a few chances to make a big uh, to make a big impression on the world. And he said, Charlie, when one of those comes your way, you know, be ready and seize it, and don't do it small. And so what happens is life becomes a preparation in the day to day, as John Calipari, the Kentucky coach, calls it, or Ray Kroc, the founder of the modern McDonald's, calls it. They're grinding it out on a day-by-day basis. You must grind it out. And then you're in preparation for that rare opportunity. If you're a colonel, there will be a day when generals will talk about you. Your name will come up, and you better have been ready for that for years. You better have been building. If you're a dude, you know, people are always I, – I, I've been lucky enough to, you know, date some of the most beautiful women in the world, celebrities and supermodel. People are like – what is, how do you do that? And I'm like, it's not a thing. It's not like on Monday, a supermodel ends up at your house and you strike up a conversation and she goes, ooh, I want to go out with you. And it's the same way. Brad Pitt did not get Angelina Jolie in a day. It's who Brad Pitt was through grinding it out on a day-by-day basis. And when his number came up and when Angelina Jolie was single, he sees that opportunity, and, and it's the same in business and whatever you – and it's definitely the same in military. People do business with people who impress them. They date people who impress them. They befriend people who impress them, especially at the highest levels. Absolutely. You, you, people buy you. That's one of the things we say a lot at The Art of Charm because we'll get a lot of entrepreneurs who are like, yeah, but my product is so awesome. You know, I, I think it speaks for itself. Your product will never speak for itself, almost never, I should say. There's always, the, you know, there's always the Facebook, but even then, one of the reasons that it's doing so well, major reasons, is because is Zuckerberg. It's, he's not necessarily the most charismatic dude, but he, he clearly has the vision, right? Um, but very few products will speak for themselves, and, and often when they do, a competitor with a more charismatic owner or frontman will simply overtake. Yes, for sure. So do you, I'm assuming that just like uh, uh, you have this, confidence you tie in charisma as kind of an outgrowth of confidence or confidence first charisma second confidence is something that you can that you can become confident is something you can become that's something we can train you for charisma is kind of a physical manifestation of confidence and and i guess it goes hand in hand with what people would refer to as personal magnetism so you can be very confident but you can be relatively uncharismatic and I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example just in case somebody out there is listening and doesn't quite know what I mean. You can be very self-confident. You can be very self-assured. And, you know, say you're a tradesman. Think of, you know, your dad or one of your dad's friends or something like that who's really great auto mechanic. He might be really confident, and he might be really confident in a lot of areas. He just might be very soft-spoken. He might be very quiet. He might not be a great communicator. It doesn't mean he's not confident, but it does mean he's not super charismatic, right? He might even right. work for somebody who has crap technical skill and doesn't understand how cars even work, but that guy might run the auto shop and he might be a great leader because maybe he's charismatic. Maybe people really respect him. Maybe he knows how to communicate and keep people engaged. He knows how to sell the business. That's just as important. Well, actually it's more important than technical skill. And that goes back to my point on when I was on wall street, the lawyers who were in the office at 3am, very valuable people, very technically skilled. The only guy more valuable than him the guy who never really works because he's got the personal magnetism that brings in the business and gets the check signed. Reminded me of Chris Rock. He was talking about uh, he was talking about 
Shaquille O'Neal. He goes, I actually was at a little uh, Monday. I was at a little uh, comedy show. My friend does little, like 20 of us. And I was sitting on the front row there. And the host gets up, Jay. And it's like an underground place in L.A. comedy show. And he's like, hey, I got one more guest. Maybe I want to see you. And people are like leaving. He's like, Chris Rock. So Chris Rock rolls in because he's doing the BET Awards. It comes up 20 bodyguards. It comes up there. Anyway, it was funny because I was reminding Chris Rock, goes, you know, people think Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq, he's rich because he, whatever, he had a $118 million contract, I think, at one point. And he said, he goes, Shaq isn't uh, rich. He's, you know, he's well-to-do. He said, the man who signs Shaq's check is rich because if you could pay a man $118 million, you sure as heck have a lot more in your bank account. So it's kind of it's kind of uh, the same thing you're saying. You work, you go to these jobs, and, and this comes down to role models and mentors. So many people make the wrong person the role model. They're like, "Ooh, this Wall Street trader. Ooh, this you know CEO that's uh, making ten million bucks a year." But I'm like, "But what about the founder of the business? That's who you want to be." One of my mentors when I was I was uh, in New Zealand, and I I had saved up. I was still a teenager. I'd saved up. $15,000. I had started my first business uh, and was partners with a guy who's pretty famous now, Joel Salatin. And I took the profits from the partnership I made with Joel and I traveled the world. I ended up in New Zealand with this guy, Gary Townsend, who's one of the richer guys in New Zealand. And um, he said to me, he said, you know, Ty, here's the definition that you need to remember about life. He said, an employee is somebody who uses their energy for somebody else's dream. Now, he said, the next level above that is business owner. The business owner uses his energy and his money for his own dream. And many people, he said, think that's the greatest. But he goes, well, let's go above that. There's an investor. The investor uses his own capital and other people's energy for the investor's dream. But he said the final and the highest is a capitalist. A capitalist uses other people's money and other people's energy for their dream. So you can, you know, whether you agree with that political stance or economic stance is not the point. The point is be careful who you copy because many people are copying the wrong person on the food chain. Go straight to the food chain, top of the food chain, even if you don't want to be at the top. It's better to learn basketball from Michael Jordan than me. Because even if you're only, if you're as 10th as good as be at basketball, you won't be very good. But if you're as 10th as good as Michael Jordan, well, you, you have pretty good skills, and it's the same with confidence, business. Go straight to the top, and that's one of the hardest things for people to wrap their mind around. People expect set low expectations and low-level low role models. Yeah, that's true. I, I think there is there is one missing factor, though, and it's how well can somebody teach something. I wouldn't want Tiger Woods as a golf coach necessarily because <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually know – if he can teach people how to play golf and I don't want to try to figure out what he's doing by watching him. Cause that could take me a hundred years. And right. that's a, well, it's, a, it's he, actually, it's a common fallacy because people go, you know what? I don't need a whole week long. I just need to like see what you guys are doing and then I can imitate it. And it's like, no, you can't because you will have no idea what the processes are in place. You might, you might be able to look and sound exactly like me when talking with somebody, but it does not mean that you will get all of the right factors because maybe that's not what's important. Right. Yeah. Well, what you might want to do in that case is see if you could be trained by his trainer. 
Yeah, of course. You know, you'd, you'd want whoever made trainer. him into that. Yeah, of course. Exactly. Yeah. But it's still going to the top, whether or yeah, not you're right. it's that. Exactly. Or, you know what I mean? I just don't so want what people do you, to think talk- that there's, there's no point in learning anything. Like, I don't want people to think, oh, well, I'm never going to be able to learn from Warren Buffett, so I'm going to wait until that happens, and I'm not going to start investing until then. Because that's a very right. common excuse process. Oh, well, you know, I don't have the ability to do this thing where I do this wild and crazy, amazing startup. Uh, because I can't get Mark Zuckerberg to return my call. So I'm going to wait until that happens. And until then, I'm going to be stuck, you know, mediocre. And I'm just going to blame society and the environment and the economy or whatever, right? Yep. So let's talk about this as we kind of wrap up here. Uh, When people graduate from this course, what have you learned um, about how to keep people going? You said you got this alumni system where people continue to learn. Tell me more about, because this is applicable to anything people are doing, because it's not enough to start. You have to finish. So what do you find about the follow-up? What works and what doesn't work? Follow-up is key. So what we're doing during the week, instead of just teaching you techniques, habits, and not only just coaching you, we're actually instilling habits. So you need to know that every time you go through the door, you're going to change your body language. Every time there's a certain cue and a certain conversation. You're going to change your eye contact, vocal tonality, or not even just change, but be aware of. That way you can self-monitor and it becomes internal. The idea is to internalize these skills so that they're, you know, we're looking at authentic, right? This is a subtractive process. We're taking things away, insecurities and things like that, not adding layers onto your personality. So we are actually making sure that there's a system in place that develops those habits or helps you develop those habits. There's support people are keeping in touch with you, thus those habits continue to develop. We also have six months after your program, there's online follow-up. You're getting missions every week. You're getting follow-up videos every week. Because if you don't and you fall off the wagon because you don't have a plan and you don't have the habits in place, you can reset yourself, go right back to where you were. However, if you've got some healthy habits in place and you've also got an accountability network and you've got something that you can do regularly to make sure that you're honing your skill set, you will continue to improve. And it's the same thing with like fitness, for example. A lot of people go, oh, I didn't need this anymore because, you know, now I have a girlfriend. Well, did you stop going to the gym as soon as you got in shape? I mean, is that, if if you did that, then how did that work out for you? You know, or guys that are trying to get healthy, you don't go on a diet, eat vegetables and salad for three months, lose 60 pounds and go, great, where's the pizza? I'm going to eat that every day for dinner now. You're changing your habits for lasting change. You're not just doing something that's going to be a quick fix and then you can forget about it. You know, And, and that's the beautiful part is you won't want to change once you start getting that positive feedback. Nobody wants to change, but it can take a while to kick off all of that rust, blow through some of that fear. And that's why the coaching process is so intense. And that's why it can't be done only online. It can't be done in an ebook like a lot of shysters and charlatans claim because it's such an intense process. We're having a hard time squeezing what we need to do into 60 hours. So I don't understand how people think they're going to read an ebook and 45 minutes later, they're going to go out and find their dream girl and dot, dot, dot babies, right? It's just not realistic. Well, like the saying goes, if you're in a room and you don't know the sucker is, you're the sucker. So right. when people buy get rich quick schemes, when people buy something that says, you know, by tomorrow, uh, Megan Fox is going to be, uh, stalking you. I'm going to teach you three lines that make Megan Fox addicted to you. Uh, if you believe in that, well, like I said, guess who the sucker of the situation is? Not right. the person selling the ebook, the person, the buyer. So 
when you see people, uh, so they finish, uh, you've got systems, you've been instilling habits. Do you stick them in formal groups where they're connected to the alumni? We do, yeah. Uh, there, there's, there's a the alumni network has geographical divisions, and that's for obvious. Well, maybe not obvious, but the reason is if you live in San Francisco, we, you know, it's great to have the guys from your boot camp who are from all over the world, most likely. But it's even mm-hmm. better to have not only those guys who went through the experience with you, but somebody where you're up. You know, it's Friday. You're tired. You came home from work, and you go. I should go out and meet some people tonight, but oh, I just cannot freaking be bothered at all. And then your your alumni group calls and says, hey, John's having a birthday party. There's going to be a lot of people there. Why don't you come along? And you go, eh, I'm tired. And they go, don't be a wuss. Get your ass over here. I'm going to come pick you up. That's a lot easier to stay on the wagon when you have that kind of accountability versus, oh, yeah, I totally went out this weekend. And I said hi to this person. and uh, Whatever. I don't care. I'm tired. You know, it's that accountability there and that network of, of people close to you there who also have their days where they go, oh, I just can't be bothered. It's your job to drag each other out of that funk. And that's that's something that happens every day on the alumni board. It, people are calling each other. There's a lot of support. There's a lot of events. I live in San Francisco now and I go to L.A. all the time. There's never a week that goes by that doesn't have, hey, what's everybody doing this weekend? Or, hey, it's my birthday. Or, hey, there's a party here. There's there's an event here. There's a concert here. Hey, I've got extra tickets for this. I mean, it's just nonstop. So if you're not active with the alumni network, it's because you don't want to be. It's not because there's no activity. I mean, there's there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of guys in there from all over the world. So it's it's harder to not be accountable at that point than it is to just go with the flow of everybody who's improving. And I think that's the real strength of the follow-up. Right. Awesome, man. Well, if people want to know more about you, they want to know more about uh, your podcast. I want to know more about the schools and the training that you offer. Where's the best place to go? Sure. So the Art of Charm podcast is in iTunes or whatever you're listening, using to listen to this now, Stitcher, whatever. The Art of Charm podcast is all free. It's just, you know, you're already listening to a podcast. You might as well add this to the rotation. And guys who are interested can go to theartofcharm.com or theartofcharmpodcast.com. There's tons of shows there, tons of content. Our phone number's there. Guys can call us. Or they can just email me. I'm jordan at theartofcharm.com. I'm happy to field any questions from anybody and, you know, get in touch. If you guys want to know more about it, I mean, that's what I'm here for. Yeah, well, awesome. Well, I highly recommend it. Check out the podcast. Check out the training. Uh, Listen to this a couple times. Let it sink deeply in. And uh, thanks so much, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Have fun. Uh, enjoy your weekend, and I'll see you when we're in L.A. Awesome. Talk to you soon. Take care.